Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Peter Case has lived a life of constant change, soaring heights and soul-crushing lulls from the frigid suburbs of Buffalo, New York, to his early years of living and busking on the streets of San Francisco to a formative experiences with a punk band, The Nerves, and the leading power pop legends of the Plimsolls. And now his decades-long Grammy-nominated solo career, this film walks a million miles in the shoes of one of America's last great troubadours. Absolutely right. The film is called Peter Case, Million Miles Away, and we're joined today by the director of the film, and that would be Fred Parnes. Fred, welcome to Film School Radio. Thanks so much, Mike. Great to be here. Thank you so much. I so, first time I ever saw Peter Case was him opening for Elvis Costello at the Irvine Amphitheater. I, I had like fifth row seats, and I was just completely blown. I'd never seen the Plimsolls before. It blew me away. They were fantastic and wonderful. And ever since then, I stri- tried to stay connected to Peter's career. And uh, this is such a joyous film. And as I mentioned, the highs and lows and so many things that have happened to Peter Case along his journey. But it's just a wonderful film. And tell me a little bit about what inspired you. How did you get involved in Peter's life? Uh, Well, great. Thanks for that uh, uh, very nice introduction. Chris Seyfried, who's one of my two producers along with Jordan Krauss, Chris Seyfried and I, we go way back. And he's a fantastic musician and a writer, a performer, a producer, a songwriter. And I had been able to work with him uh, in sort of an indirect way. I I used a couple of the songs on one project. Uh, He composed some cues for another project, but we really wanted to do something together. So we're both music obsessives, as as you are as well. We really wanted to find somebody who, I have a series of boxes that I wanted to check and try to find somebody who could check all five boxes. And we'd come up with ideas and they would, we'd spark to them and then they'd kind of fizzle out when we realized, yeah, it's missing something. And I was going through my record collection. I still have records. So, you know, much of my wife's chagrin, taking up all the closets in the house. And I stumbled on Peter, a dog-eared copy of Peter's second album, The Man with the Blue Guitar. And I was like, this record was great. How did I lose track of this guy? So this record, every song in this record is great. Usually, if I if I fall in love with a director or a musician, I want to I want to know everything they've ever done, and yet that was the only Peter Case record I had. So right away, I had a feeling there was a mystery there, and that was one of the boxes. I, I wanted a story with mystery, you know, that kind of give you kind of a narrative in, you know. I first thought, well, maybe he stopped writing and became a poet or or a novelist because he was so brilliant with words. But I looked him up on the internet. And of course, there's like 14 more albums. So I said, okay, I guess I lost the. I lost the uh, scent on him. And I thought, well, maybe like a lot of musicians, they used all their great stuff up on their first album or two. And that the, you know, kind of fizzles out. But I ordered a bunch of the CDs and everyone was as good as the previous one. So I was like, okay, this guy is great. There's mystery here. Uh, he's still doing it. So I contacted him through his website. Chris and I went up to Berkeley. He was performing at the back room in Berkeley, nice, small, intimate room. And we went up, we met him, and we sat down just to have a chat and immediately just started telling some story. And I was like, he's got a storyteller's flair. I mean, this is just too great and a great sense of humor. So we saw him that night and he just killed that room. It's a 100 
120 people there, but every person there was just so locked in. The songs were great. The, the in-between song banter was great. And we said, this is a guy whose story needs to be told. You know, this is, uh, this is just a, a great topic, a, a great American music phenomenon. And I'm going to sort of unfold this mystery as best I can and try to tell a story about music in, in, today's, in today's world. You know, it's interesting because he is a troubadour. And when I think of troubadours that I'm drawn to, like Peter Case, I think of people like Loudon Wainwright. I think of people like Tom Waits. It, it, is, it is not just the song. It's the ambiance. It's the persona. It is the ability to tell a story and set up a song. And I've watched it happen with those people. And he's certainly in, in that class of what I consider to be the great American songwriters of, of my time. And But I also know a little bit about him and having spent a little, tiny bit of time around him, that he might not be the most receptive person for someone to be in his business, if you will. Did it take some convincing for you, for, for him to feel like this is what he wanted you to do or to be a uh, part? Great question. Uh, he agreed to do it quickly. That didn't take a long time, but I think sort of like getting his trust took a little time, you know, to, to break the wall down a little bit. And, you know, we'd have, you know, it is over the course of almost three years now. We lost a little bit of time because uh, because of COVID, but say two years of really dealing with him on a, you know, fairly regular basis. And the relationship definitely warmed and evolved. And the conversations we had on film got better and better as he trusted us more. And I can't blame the guy. I mean, somebody, somebody came over here, nobody would want to, but if somebody said, hey, I want to stick a camera on you and ask you all kinds of questions for hours and hours, I'd probably be wary too. And it might take a little while to get my trust. And it's just not really a natural thing to do to invite strangers into your house. And they're talking to people, you know, from your past and you're like, oh, what are they saying about me? You know, but w- over the, over the time, we really, I consider him a, a good friend now. And uh, it was great to collaborate with him. Not always easy, but you know, what do you expect? I mean, yeah. you know, it, it, it took a little, it took a little doing, but yeah. good results. I think he, he's always had, you know, a truth seeker's heart from the very, very beginning. We see that in the film. Somebody who really wasn't, uh, can, was not going to suffer fools gracefully. Okay. And, and he, in that business, in the business that he's chosen, in the art form that he's chosen, unfortunately, you get a lot of that. You get a lot of static, a lot of promises, a lot of things that never happen. And for someone like him, it appears, putting aside sort of, I'll say gruffness about him, if that's the right word, you can correct me if it's not. He has, to, he has stayed true to what he wanted from what we see at the very, very beginning of his career as a musician, right? Yeah. And also a, a little bit about his background, where he came from. I, I mean, if I'm, this is all, you don't agree, please let me know. But going back to his roots in his family life, you see some of the, what he is in, in that and how, what he's overcome over that period of time. Yeah, well, there's no question. It was definitely, uh, it was the smoothest of upbringings uh, in a, fairly hostile environment, Buffalo, New York. It's a very, you know, just geographically it's cold. And and I think that there was also just a certain amount of coldness in, in, you know, his upbringing. It was a little bit of a rough go, although I think he made peace with most of those issues. Um, But yeah, he was definitely, he says a very interesting line where he says, you know, because he left home and went 
across the country at a pretty early age. And he said it wasn't like seeking, like it was more running away than seeking something. You know, it was like getting away from something which was not going to end up good. But it wound up, you know, he really is a real pioneer. I mean, he went out of his own life. I mean, just put the guitar on his back and hitchhiked across the country and had some very rough years. They really, those aren't just stories like Ramblin' Jack Elliott, who have you believe that he's like a cowpoke and he's really like, you know, my dentist's son. Uh, not to take anything away from Ramblin' Jack. He's great. But, you know, Peter was really living in a bus and, you know, living in a, upstairs in a mortuary. And it was a rough and tumble, tumble life. And, and then, you know, falling into the nerves, which, you know, and that was a, that was a heavy scene too, that punk scene and, and Jack Lee, who you meet in the film was a, a real character. Uh, I'm sure those were rough and tumble days. So he's gotten through a lot and he, and he's sort of reached a very sort of uh, peaceful place in, in where he is in his life right now. He's probably in a way the most content he's ever been. And he's really found his place and, and found his own inner peace. And he's still writing and, and, performing at the top of his game. It's really amazing. I mean, it's almost impossible as a songwriter to keep to keep it going. I mean, eventually you just run out of songs, you know? Eventually you do your album like of covers and the Great American Songbook and collaborations and duets. He hasn't done any of that because he doesn't really have to. He has so much material. I mean, I look at the list of songs that he had, just partial songs that he has. And he just finished a, a, a new album, Dr. Moan, with Chris, my, my one of my producing partners. Uh, he produced, uh, co-produced that. And he said it's just it's a piano-based album. He's doing it. It's just like a keyboard and voice album uh, with something he's never done. So he's he's still very much, you know, very, very much alive, really at the height of his powers. That's just Chris Pierce, by the way. The- uh, Chris Pierce is yeah. the guy who sings the duet with Lady Blackbird. Oh, Chris I'm Seafried. sorry. Yeah. Chris, Chris. Seafried okay. is the musical director and one of my producing partners on the Yeah. Uh, you mentioned this. And uh, by the way, before we go any further, I want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with Fred Parnes. He is the director of the documentary film called Peter Case, A Million Miles Away. You mentioned the nerves. Um, I was not familiar with the nerves. This is a new part of the ch- a new chapter in the life of Peter Case that I wasn't aware of, but uh, I caught up with him at the Plimsolls chapter. And uh, in some ways, you know, his career really kind of mirrored or shadowed so much music that has had such a tremendous influence on the music scene. Let's talk a little bit about the nerves and and the plimsolls and what that meant to Peter Case's career. Sure. I'm a little bit with you. I I was barely aware of the nerves. I I knew Blondie's uh, cover of Hanging on the Telephone, but I I never really connected with the punk scene. That was never my thing. The punk groups that I did like weren't really punk. They're like The Clash and Elvis Costello and Graham Parker. I think they just kind of got, you know, fell under that banner, but they were really just, you know, songwriter, you know. Brit pop or whatever, you know, like British invasion, but well, they um, call it some of it was they called new wave and it wasn't that either, right? right. I don't think, yeah, yeah. right. So. Yeah, but you know, they, you know, it's just good for magazines and record labels to have, right. you know, uh, labels for, for things. Uh, but so, yeah, the nerves to me was that was brand new. I had no idea. You know, those years were formative, I think, for him, you know, to be yeah, part what, of what did they, what do you think he got out of that, that, that part of his career with the nerves? What do, you, what do you think he took away? Well, I think that idea of being part of an ensemble, you know, it's like it was a three piece. It was like the who just get out. There. He was playing bass then because Jack played guitar and just being part of like just this 
group is coming out to two minute songs, you know, fast, powerful, a lot of energy. The audience are like jumping up and down, you know, those those old punk audiences where a lot of it was very visceral. They really wanted to like move and, you know, bang into each other. He went to the Plimsolls, which was like a little bit more of a refined version of that. And I think the songs were a little a little deeper. I think there were more chord changes and the lyrics were a little bit, you know, deeper. And the sound was, you know, the edges were a little bit rounded off. It still had great power. It wasn't soft, but uh, it was less one, two, three, four, dun, you know, like the, the, punk, the punk ethos. Ramones, um, the more of a Ramones sound than, than was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but I think what the most important thing about those things was that he realized that that's not what he wanted to do. And that, you know, his real calling was the feeling that he got when he was a kid and saw Lightning Hopkins uh, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which he, he calls a, you know, a, a, a watershed moment in his life where he he saw the power of one man in the guitar in front of an audience telling the story, singing the song. And I think that's what he always wanted to do. And he said, he tells a story that, uh, the Plimsolls at their height, uh, they had a rehearsal and the other guys were on stage like warming up. And he was in the other room with a Gibson J45 that he had bought with the, like his first real royalty check. And he was sitting there just playing that while they were waiting for him to join him for rehearsal. And he said to himself, I don't even want to do that anymore. I want to I want to play this. I just want it to be me and this guitar and an audience. And then that led to the first album, which had got amazing reception it was album of the year in new york times and that really gave him a lift and then the second album and then you know yeah moved into the high air of of uh yeah. of corporate uh record yes. labels and, yes. and had his uh had his you know loggerheads with some of that uh but you know he found his eventual home and in, in, in smaller labels which could really really focus on him and take care of his needs and you know, it's it's a tough business, but uh, you know you got to have the song. So yeah. whatever you're doing, if it's a three piece, a four piece, or your solo, and you're with a big label or a small record, you still got to write the songs, and, and exactly. that's what he does. So that, that's what I take away from the story. Right, and and I have like I mentioned at the beginning, I have seen the Plimsolls, and they were no slouch. They were they were a rocking band, and I mean, I, I I'm somebody who is a music fanatic, and I was you know they blew me away when I saw them, and they were they were great. The film has so many wonderful people that have been a part of Peter's life. Just to mention a few, Ben Harper, Steve Earle, Victoria Williams, who I loved. I was so, you know, I just, I remember when she came out and it was like a a thing, uh, had to keep her, there was Lucinda and Victoria, Victoria, Lucinda. there was that kind of thing, but she was wonderful and she's wonderful in the film. Van Dyke Parks, who I love, Mitchell Froome, Steve Souls, Jack Lee, and, and, Denise Sullivan, yeah. so many people who give us the spice of Peter's life as he moves, as he's moved forward, and he's still out there. Yeah. And uh, it's great to see that he's still out there. But it's a, it's just a wonderful look at what I don't think you can understate this. One of America's true troubadours, what someone who isn't in it for the glory and the fame. He is in it because he loves doing what he does. And it comes across in the film. I think that's the one thing I you, your takeaway is this is who he is. Well, you couldn't have put it better. I don't know what to add to that. That's uh, exactly what we set out to, to the story we set out to tell. And I'm, I'm glad uh, connected with it. It does. The film, again, is called Peter Case, A Million Miles Away. And be looking for it. And 
as we move forward with this film, there will hopefully be a day in time when it's available for the world and, and not necessarily just the film festival audiences. And I look forward to that day. And I really appreciate not only the work, but also your time today. Fred Parnes, come back anytime you got something. Thanks so much, Mike. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Thank you.